Bofu, entrepreneur, community builder, strategist, and change maker. Uh, thanks for joining us on this episode of the Other Experts podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's uh, it's, it's awesome to be on your uh, podcast, and uh, I like the name Other Experts. It's very interesting, and it's saying yes, there's the other experts as well. So yeah, I'm, I'm happy to to share. You know, also connect and. Uh, you know, also provide, you know, different insights and different experiences for experts here in Malaysia. This is your host, Chukudi. And you're listening to the Other Experts podcast. Yes, yeah, so as you introduced me, my name is Ralph. I'm from, I'm from Zimbabwe. And um, yeah, I've I've been in Malaysia for the last 10 years. This is my 10th year. Okay, yeah. And um, yeah, I came to Malaysia, studied here. I was in Sunway University between 2010 and 2014. Did my accounting and finance uh, degree there. And um, yeah, and from there, I ventured into something I would say is, is, is a different calling from what my, I studied in my university, which is mostly working in the impact uh, entrepreneurship ecosystem, and uh, that has been what I've been doing uh, for 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 a while. So, my work I work with a group of companies that uh, are focused on building entrepreneurial communities, but also offering strategic and advisory consulting around sustainable development. And um, my role has mostly been, as you as you mentioned earlier, being a catalyst for partnerships, program, and community. So. Some people would ask, what is that? So I'm, I'm confused sometimes, but anyway, it is, I think it's just basically being that uh, an individual, like, because we're an intermediary as an organization, but it's really trying to connect the dots, right? The con- I always say it's connecting the dots of impact. So it's trying to bring together the different components in, a, in an ecosystem. So you can have entrepreneurs, you have government, you have investors and financiers, you have local community. So being a catalyst is about bringing all these individuals and stakeholders together towards a common goal, uh, which is always how do we make a difference in this world? You know, how do we create impact for people and the planet? So my role has always been to find um, collaborative opportunities around that, but also at the same time, how do we engage? you know, citizens, how do we engage businesses and at the end of the day, create the impact that we want to see. So apart from that work side, I think Ralph as an individual, I've, I'm pretty adventurous, you know, I'm uh, very adventurous and uh, I love to travel. So some of my work comes with travel as well. But also I feel traveling allows you, it opens up uh, new doors in terms of learning about other people because I never love to live in a box, and I think the world is our oyster, so we always try to learn different cultures, you know. So I don't think learning ever stops. Learning is always important. It doesn't matter whether it doesn't apply to your current situation or I feel like we learn things that can actually help us in the future, that make us better individuals, that make us better uh, humans at the end of the day. So basically, I love doing I always say it's, I'm, I'm about positive vibes. I like anything that is really positive. You know, I don't like to surround myself with negative individuals, but um, I'd like to surround myself with people who have a positive outlook on how things can be done. So, yeah, basically that's who I am. And I guess a lot more is interesting once uh, once people get to know me in person. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, that that was an interesting introduction. Like, yeah, I don't think anyone has gone that deep before, but yeah, that was really good. <laughs> yeah. The conversation, so it's always, it's always, you know, it's 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 these personal ways of how you can share about yourself, and you know, so I guess for me, it's my personal and my 
for example, my work experience, it always intertwines in some way. But you see, it goes back to uh, understanding what my purpose is, right? So when I know what my purpose as an individual is, it has to also go into what my purpose in my work life is. Otherwise, I can't separate the two in a way. Of course, you have to find work-life balance at the end of the day, but it's always important that as a personal individual, you know what you're working towards doing. And I think, as I mentioned, uh, I've always been a person that likes to support or help. Like most of the people that uh, that know me will know that I like to either help, connect, and uh, so that has always been in my DNA growing up. So for me to have a, a job that allows me to do that at a bigger scale, so that's that actually, you know, it, it amplifies the, the the purpose that I have. So that's 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 all about me at the moment. Okay, well, that's interesting. You spoke about entrepreneurship and connecting people, communities. What would you say is the state of um, entrepreneurship um, in Malaysia, especially in terms of people of color and black expats, black entrepreneurs in the country? Well, that's interesting because I've never thought of it that way. But um, I think the state of entrepreneurship will maybe start off just basically just in Malaysia. I think Malaysia has uh, has a huge potential for entrepreneurship, and I think it's over the last couple of years that it's really been it's really been growing. I think uh, some of the key reasons behind that is. Uh, the role of government, usually the role of the, the big institutions that are very much invested in entrepreneurship. Because when you look at, the, for example, the economy, Malaysian economy is it's pretty much opportunity-based. So we always say it's like there's different types of entrepreneurship, right? So, for example, in Africa, we, we tend to have a lot of more necessity-based entrepreneurship. And then there's also opportunity-based entrepreneurship where people venture into entrepreneurship out of the, the, the endless possibilities and opportunities that are there, right? So sure. I think in Malaysia, a lot of the entrepreneurship is not really driven by the necessity that there's no jobs, and but it's really out of trying to uh, take advantage of the opportunities that are there. So I think in the Malaysian context, it's it's a growing entrepreneurship uh, ecosystem. But then now, if uh, to answer your question, I've never really looked at it as uh, because it's, I haven't come across a lot of people of color who are entrepreneurs. But that doesn't mean there's no opportunity. I just think um, a lot of people haven't seen Malaysia as a potential place to to to, to venture into entrepreneurship, right? Because um, the majority of experts that I get to meet here, uh, either they, ha- they for, for example, in my case, I was, I was a student and then I started working in this field. And then others are usually working for bigger MNCs. So maybe they don't see that, that, that strategic or opportunity where they feel like, okay, I should leave my corporate job and then venture into entrepreneurship. Because it's not just that easy. You have to first understand the market. But I still think, you know, Malaysia has um, it is favorable. It has a favorable environment, and it's going to continuously grow. And especially areas like tech, for example, we've seen a lot of uh, tech startups coming up. But also, the, using the whole concept of social entrepreneurship, you know, where we have businesses that are just not focused on profit, but are looking to create more social value for people and the planet. So I think. Um, the state, there's not really a lot. I haven't come across a lot of uh, uh, entrepreneurs who are of color, but there are some who work with uh, startups. So I guess it's always a, a, a situation where you can find people of color collaborating with locals as well yeah. who, have, who share similar ideas. So that has always worked that way. But when I look at it from a more like, if we were to say, if I had a person maybe coming from um, Kenya, for example, and they're like, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna migrate from Kenya and go to Malaysia to to, to be an entrepreneur," I still think there hasn't been that. Maybe it's not about um, there hasn't been that marketing to that extent. But Malaysia is open, I think, because I think uh, 
through MDAC. They, they have a, lo- a, a, a number of passes now, for example, to attract the right type of talent yeah. or the right type of uh, in industries like tech, for example, where you get is it one or two year um, entrepreneurship pass within those particular industries. So I guess that's that's one of the ways that Malaysia is trying to attract entrepreneurs from around the world to come and set up their base here. And uh, maybe that could be an interesting incentive for people of color from around the world to see Malaysia as a potential entrepreneurship hub. So yeah, maybe in a year's time, I'll be, or in two years time maybe, yeah, I would be able to answer on a different state of that entrepreneurship for people of color here. (laughs) You you really think it's going to take that short of a period to um, change um, if there's none presently? No, I, I don't think because you see, maybe I, I'm looking at it from a very impact-driven type of uh, approach. But I yeah. think entrepreneurship cuts across many industries. You can find entrepreneurs in hotels, you can find entrepreneurs uh, in arts and culture, in creativity. So maybe uh, on one angle I might be biased because I'm just looking at the uh, the impact entrepreneurs. But also I feel entrepreneurship works in many different ways, right? And I guess, so to answer your question, I haven't seen a lot, that's the thing. I haven't come across a lot, but I think... uh, Setting up a company, for example, in Malaysia is not too expensive mm-hmm. in a way. Like if you're to set up a Dream Behad here, mm-hmm. which is a private limited, I don't think it's that expensive. And uh, and so I think the most important thing, especially for people of color, is um, the what they on what, uh, what what's the word I'm looking for is uh, because what they come here to do, for example, right. Mm-hmm. I, I can come here as a visitor and then I'm like, oh, wow, this is an amazing country. Maybe let me explore entrepreneurship. It's not that simple where you just say, okay, I'm going to set up a business now. So then you first have to have the right kind of uh, visa to be here, to be able to establish an entrepreneurship uh, project, for example. Right. Yeah. That's why I mentioned there are some of these passes. Let's say, for example, let's say I'm a tech guy, so I could maybe get a talent pass from MDAC to be able to set up a tech company. Sure. So there's a, a, a process towards that, okay. which I think. Yeah, so there's that process, right? So because I, I, I look at it from the, the, from the point of view of legal entities that I've come across that are actually run by people of color. I haven't come across many of them, but I still think there is nothing that restricts people of color from setting up here. You can always set up a company as a, a foreign-owned company as long as you meet the requirements. And, uh, yeah, there's never been any restriction in that point. So it's just a matter of finding that opportunity and uh, having the know-how in that particular field. So I, I, I don't think there's anything that would restrict entrepreneurship for a person of color in this country as long as um, – the individual or the group of people can actually do it in the legal way of mm, Malaysia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's true, though. Yeah. Are you you also talked about culture and how you um, like experiencing things generally? Uh, what was your experience um, moving here ten years ago? How how different is the Malaysian culture from? Um, the, your culture back home and, and how easy was it for, for you to get used to the culture here? Mm. Yeah, culture always, you know, the culture shock is uh, is one of those interesting things. I think just not culture, also the, 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 the weather here is it's pretty humid, which is very different from uh, Southern Africa, which is pretty much, it's, it's hot and um, it's hot and dry. So, but mm-hmm. you have so much nice fresh air and mm-hmm. uh, culture here i felt uh the culture here is very rich you know it's very diverse you know malaysia is like a melting pot of different cultures and i don't think you you find it a lot in a lot of countries right because as you know there's pretty dominantly almost three distinct groups which is indians malay chinese and um and they form a very rich uh 
culture for Malaysia. So I always say, you know, and also with, for example, the public holidays, you know, I get to celebrate uh, Chinese festivities. I get to celebrate Malay festivities. I get to celebrate Indian festivities. <laughs> I can celebrate Christian festivities. So yeah. that gives you a nice, amazing, immersive experience in terms of how certain people live, right? So I've always used that as a way of me learning about people's culture, how they do things. And I feel in Asia, Malaysia, for example, I don't think the culture here is very different from ours in Africa in a lot of things where it's really family-based values, you know, and also the, uh, the, the point of respecting your elders. So I think those are a lot of fundamentals, especially when you go back to Africa. We respect our elders. A lot of things are very community-based. It's community family vibe. Values. And you see the same here in, in terms of the culture, right? We might be different in a different demographics in the geographical area, but the core values of what their culture is based on, I don't see how it's very much different from Africa, you know? So for me, it wasn't really, it, it was a new way of seeing things, but the way I was able to assimilate that culture, get used to it, right? Understand, okay, for example, how you greet people in a different culture, for example, you know, also learning about their culture, their norms, well, what what are the to-dos and the to-do-nots, right? So that's always the interesting part because it helps us understand ourselves as human beings better, right? And how culture also plays a critical place, impact in the way we as the um, the beneficiaries of that particular culture are going to see how the world operates. So I think cultural-wise, it's got rich culture. And then, for example, so I forgot, like if you go to Sabah and Sarawak, they're very rich as well in their culture as well. So it's very diverse. And I think that's one uniqueness about Malaysia, that the culture is so diverse, it makes it... Um, it, it makes huge potential for it to thrive because um, nothing ever thrives. I, I, that's my own point of view. I don't think anything could thrive when it's very much monotonous, right? It's the same, no. Uh, things happen when there's diversity in it, you know. You, you put all different kinds of mixtures and then you will have a big bang. And Malaysia has it. And that's why I think a lot of people come to visit, you know, and because of that diversity in culture. All right, yeah. Okay. How how was the food experience though? Because I've had kind of mixed reviews with the Malaysian food experience. <laughs> well, how have you found the food so far? Yeah, I, I think it's very similar to what we have in Nigeria, for example. Uh, but even yeah. then, that's my opinion. I've met a lot of Nigerians who don't think so and they would prefer yeah they, and they would prefer to not eat malaysian food uh because they think it's very different i don't think so though because like it's we have the same spicy um you get spicy food we get um similar stews um the kebab um meats same 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 similar at least as close as possible as you can get mm, yeah, but, but yeah, somehow yeah, yeah. people don't see that they feel it's very different well, I think, it, yeah, but it go, you see, the reason why people might see it different, maybe it's, there's a lot of other factors that will, 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 will affect how they make their choices. Mm -hmm. But like, as you say, I've tried uh, Nigerian cuisine, which is, there are some foods that are like amazing and there's some that I don't understand. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, what's going on here? You know, but that, that, that's, the, 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 that's how the food in Nigeria is. So yeah. I feel like in Malaysia, so it goes back when I mentioned the different, um, racial groups that are here. Mm. So that means the food here is never going to be boring, right? Yeah, I, can, I can go to a Malay restaurant and the food in Malay restaurant is totally different from the food I find in a Chinese place, mm. the food I find in an Indian place, the food I would find in uh, Sabah or Sarawak. Mm. And that that's what makes it, like, uh, I like to call it a food country as well <laughs> because there's so much food here. You can never be bored in the amount of food that's here. And uh, as a result, you also find people don't end up cooking a lot here yeah. because there's so many choices. But I think the food in Malaysia is one of the best food I've ever had because of the the range it has, mm -hmm. right? True. You know, True. I'm sure you've been here for a while, you know, for yeah, example. I've been, I've been you, here 12 years. <laughs> you will find eight different types of, uh, of chicken being prepared, whether yeah. it's 
cooked, it's it's barbecued, mm. it's been fried, it's been deep fried, it's been boiled, and all that food is yummy, you know. So I think food wise, no, the food is is very good. Yeah, you know, the the only thing that okay for me when it came to food was uh, that was also another culture shock. Like mm. for example. I find all the all the best food in what rooms, you know, in the stalls out there, in the jalans, you know. But you know, when when it's your first time here, that's a very different thing because you're like, okay, okay, you, you maybe you're used to eating in a restaurant, right, in an established building, and then when you come here, you find different pockets of eateries that are by the road. You might yeah. see a cat here and there or a rat, <laughs> and then those things kind of feed into your mind and like the system good quality, whatever. But actually, it's part and parcel of the culture here. Yeah. People eat out. And, and, and that's where I always eat the best food. I, I'm not a restaurant type of person that will go to the buildings. I will eat my food in the local food stalls. And they have some of the best food in there, right? True. So I think a lot of factors play uh, a role in how people perceive how Malaysian food is. So, from us in Southern Africa, we don't have a lot of spices, for example. So, the food here is a little bit spicy, but you get used to it after a while. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and like I say, there's there's a, a lot of range. Like you, you can never get tired of the food here. You could you could you could have nasi lemak, and then uh, you could have nihon and other chow okay. all these different types of food. What, what, what's, so, your, what's your take on durian, though? No, I, yeah. I, I never liked durian. Like, I tasted it. So, for me, I don't know. <laughs> locals love it. Locals love it. But I don't like it. No, Wait, you don't, you don't like just... Is, is it just... Is it a taste or the preceding smell? Or scent? Let's call it scent. So, we don't offend too many people. <laughs> no, no. I, I feel it, it has an acquired taste. Mm -hmm. It has an acquired so for me it's not that kind of an acquired taste of course, maybe over time maybe I might get used to it but for me it's not my acquired taste you know? right. so it's just the same if people say oh uh, if somebody drinks beer you know the set of people who drink it will say it's an acquired taste some mm -hmm. might not find it Mm, a, a, an interesting taste for them, but yeah, durian is. An, I've, I, I, I tried it once or twice mm -hmm. as a fruit or as, a, as ice cream, mm -hmm. but there's always going to be that lingering taste for me, which I feel like, huh, you know. So yeah. yeah, I guess that that the durian box I haven't really ticked on it, but anything else I actually I eat. All right. <laughs> Okay, that's that's good. Like um, the durian thing is controversial. Like if I've met locals who sometimes don't like it as well. So um, I think it's kind of um, hit or miss for most people. Like if you like it, you like it. If you don't, then yeah, that's that's it. Um, exactly. Yeah. Um, but let's let's move on. Like, uh, what would you see? Um, what do you like uh, and don't like most about living? Um, abroad here in, in Malaysia? What's, what are your favorite and least favorite things? Favorite things, uh, well, I can maybe see. Favorite and uh, non-favorite things. I think maybe I'll start with the non-favorite things, you know. Of course, there's always... Um, durian? <laughs> no, durian is not one of the... It doesn't get that top list of... Like, <laughs> He's not going to stay in Malaysia because of durian. No, no, that, True. that's that's uh, that's significant. That's minor, actually. Right, so, uh, yeah. so I think in terms of the things that maybe I wouldn't like, that would affect my own ability to say, okay, do I want to stay here or not? Is mm -hmm. I guess I think it's universal in a way. Like uh, always being away from family, right? Mm -hmm. is, is can play a critical role in, in things that you don't like. I think Malaysia, for example, like you meant, uh, for, for, for people of color or for us, for example, as Africans, you don't, you, you, you don't get to find a huge community, I guess. Maybe the, the majority of the community that you will find are definitely probably going to be students, right? But yeah. at an expert level, it's there's not really a lot of people. So that already creates an environment where you're like, oh, so do I have my own people, you know? And, uh, yeah, that's maybe with more people that, you know, you can, we can build a better community, yeah. right? So there's always that sense of belonging in a particular community, right? And I guess it's universal in a lot. You can go anywhere and where you don't find your own people, there's, there's that longing. 
to have your own people. Like I, yeah. I go back home, I visit, I have a different sense of feel. You know, I'm recharged differently. But I guess that's something that I tend to miss, uh, the lake of community. There's not many. And, um, and always maybe there's also a different take, I guess, maybe based on, uh, you know, racism is everywhere around the world. So it always comes in different forms, right? I, I, I wouldn't say I've, I've come across any negative consequences of that, but I feel, you know, there's always going to be, we call it the, 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 the stereotypes, right? Yeah. The stereotypes. Of, yeah. So for me, uh, like I say, I, I, I've never faced it directly, but you, I, I tend to have those kind of conversations where I feel like there's that whole bias towards okay. uh, black people that is here. And, yeah. uh, and I feel like as a, in the roles that you play, you always have to be responsible, but also to to be able to to, to back your own people. And I feel, of course, we, we we haven't been the best representations of what Africa looks like, right? With every community, there's bad elements, right? Yeah. So that if you have more bad elements than good, then the bad always wins. So I think it's the responsibility of, uh, even if it's the few Africans or the few people of color here that you represent your community, you represent your, your countrymen, you represent your own race in a very good way, right? Because it's human nature that if we don't have good experiences, the person will take it to the next individual. So how do we positively change people's behavior and attitudes towards a particular group by doing good, you know, by expressing yourself, your actions in a, in a positive manner? Right, and that's so. So it's that that they, it's always going to be there, right? That's why I say racism is universal. It doesn't. It's not only restricted to, for example, Malaysia. I can go to Australia. You can still fight, mm-hmm. face similar types of stereotypes. You can go to the U.S. You can go to Europe. You can even go to Africa. So it's. It, I think um, where the masses, where so, as, as some of the masses are not, uh, they don't know enough to to to, to make. Uh, different views, right? Different perspectives. So you can't throw everyone into one box, right? Yeah. And, and uh, I guess that's the mindset that that you sometimes face, I, I sometimes see, and I've heard of, right? So <clears throat> I think it's uh, there's still a lot of um, uh, I think um, it, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of how we can represent people of color here, mm-hmm. and, um, and 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 it progresses differently. So you can never hope it happen overnight. But it's what's important is that each and every other person who's a person of color can represent themselves good, such that they can leave a positive impression about themselves yeah. in, uh, in in locals. And uh, and human nature is like that. If you leave a good impression about yourself in a in a particular person, they will always carry the same when they identify with somebody that looks like you so um, it's how it always acts so um, yeah i think that has always been another i I would say some of the things that i don't like in terms of how it's systematic right but it also requires individuals to play that role right Mm -hmm. so our role has to be how do you create positive experiences about ourselves and Mm -hmm. then that's that. I can change the way another person sees me, right? But all I can do is to play my own role. And um, what else would I feel? Uh, I don't think there's any other things that I thought uh, I don't like. Maybe it's also missing my home food, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, sometimes you, you, you crave uh, a local, you know, our local uh, dishes. So right. as much as I said, there's... Mm-hmm. There's like variety here in Malaysia, but mm-hmm. there's some some of our like African dishes back home that yeah. I, I tend to miss. There are no yeah. there are no um, Zimbabwean restaurants in Malaysia. No, 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 not really. In South African know. restaurants. Okay. Not even like I feel like there is also like uh, it doesn't have that authentic uh, like how my mom or my grandma would cook that <laughs> Okay, right. but but so, there are, but there are restaurants and Zimbabwean or South African restaurants in Malaysia. I don't think so. I don't okay. think so. I haven't come across. Of course, I know there's a restaurant, a South African themed restaurant out of Africa, but yeah. it does. Have, it, it's also in a much more. But it, it, if I'm gonna say like Southern African food, then I definitely have to go back. Okay. All right. Well, oh, that's. I think Nigerians um, are kind of the only ones who have like established restaurants here. 
Um, most Africans I've met don't seem to have that um, restaurant um, presence here as much. Yeah, 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 true, true that. Mm. But also, it's also about um, it's also about numbers. For me, I wouldn't open a Zimbabwean restaurant if I wasn't sure if that's going to have enough the Customers. the demographics to yeah. come in and fill the restaurant up. Yeah. You know, so as an entrepreneur, you have to always look at how okay. do you create that demand. Do you have the the demand? You know, and uh, over a, a sustainable period of time. So I guess maybe that is why. But uh, yeah, I don't think. And it's also like not a major deal breaker, right? So mm. I could always cook in my own house, you yeah, see. Yeah, so I can always cook it in my own house and uh, yeah. maybe have a party. You know, maybe we can you can do your own party, then you cook your own food. The so English. I think so far, yeah. that's how I've been able to, to maybe eat some of our local food at yeah. uh, maybe someone's birthday or somebody hosts a, bar- a barbecue. Mm. Yeah. So you, it's easy to get the ingredients that you need though, to make like your local no, food? Not all of them. Not okay, all of yeah. them. Yeah. Okay. But we'll go back to um, that was like the second uh, dislike. Um, so, yeah. Sorry, I interrupted. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> then, then, uh, then likes, I guess, like I said, first, I think it's the diversity. I like the diversity here. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I think the nature here is also amazing. Like, um, Plus, also, there's no winter, so I'm happy about that. So that, that, that that's a, another interesting like for me. And uh, I think infrastructure-wise, Malaysia has some impressive infrastructure, I guess, like connectivity, you know. Like you have the, 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 the trains, like LRT, MRT, which helps you connect to most of the places that you probably want to go. Mm-hmm. So they, they are those things, they're those conveniences that... Uh, Malaysia has in terms of infrastructure development, and uh, so those 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 are perks which which are con- which are very much different from what we have back home, right? So here you don't have to think about saying, "Oh, uh, let me connect to a Wi-Fi network." Do I have internet? It's a constant stream wherever you yeah. walk or wherever you go. So that's a convenience that that allows that. So it's it's about quality of life, all right? So those are the kind of key lives that I, you have. But also, I think uh, there's there's pretty. I think if you're good at something, there's a lot of opportunity for you. There's always a lot of opportunity. It's never going to be easy. Nobody said it was going to be easy. But the thing is, if you are, if an opportunity arises and you chase it, I think you can make it happen in Malaysia. That's so. Those, I guess, I think there's uh, just summing them up. I think it's it's the environment, nature, uh, infrastructure, and development, and uh, yeah, the, the different amenities like. Um, being able to commute, being able to fly, you know. So those make life a little bit better or very much more convenient. All right. Yeah, I think that the infrastructure trains, um, those are some of the most liked features. I think I actually like that a lot. Like the, you don't really have to think about transportation. You can get on the train and go wherever, almost wherever it is you want to go. The roads are clear. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty much um, um, an advantage that the country has, I think, for most people. Yeah. Yeah. And the food is cheap, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Comparatively yeah. cheap, yes. <laughs> it's very cheap. It's very yeah. cheap. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what, what do you do when you're not working, though? Uh, Oh, well, I, I think I tend to end up working a lot, but uh, what I tend to like to do, usually it's catching up. I like to catch up like one. Uh, so maybe the keyword is catch up. So one, catch up yeah, with yeah. my sleep, and then we catch up with uh, maybe what am I watching on Netflix? So I catch up on series on Netflix or movies. And because the, the, the first two, in a way, are allowing me to reset. You know, after if I have a crazy week when I'm not doing work, so catching up with my sleep, catching up with my series, maybe just catching up with myself allows me to to, to take stock and be back to me as a human being. Right? It's not all about work, but it's just to be present with yourself. So I always try to be present with myself. You know, maybe understand myself or maybe am I feeling okay emotionally you know spiritually all those kind of things so those are the catch-up things that I tend to like to do 
first thing I get some free time. And then from there, I move on and like catch up with my friends, right? Catch up with my friends, whether go out for a beer, go out for some food, watch football together. That's a di- that's another catch up, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. And um, literally, you know, it's already end of the weekend, and then you 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 catch up on your laundry as well <laughs> and <your> chores, <laughs> and then um, and then maybe you have a little time to actually cook. I love to cook maybe on weekends, maybe cook for the whole week if mm-hmm. I'm not that lazy, and. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's pretty much what I... And then I, I tend to do a, a bit, some reading as well, articles mm-hmm. and uh, documentaries are also important. Like there's a whole that catch up like in terms of learning something new every week. You try to learn something new, not okay. make it a go. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that pretty much... Uh, that's pretty much what I do when I'm not working. And if I have enough the time, I travel then. Mm-hmm. I don't like to travel for like a day or two. I feel like uh, I like to... You know, get maybe a, a week off or five <laughs> days in and out. So yeah. that, that's the kind of travel I like to do. But also maybe I haven't been outdoorsy that much because I tend to, my, my work can be a little bit intensive. So you try to then get back to being you, you just by yourself, you know, and uh, you, re, you rebound from that. What, what, like, what are you watching on Netflix? Like what are, you, what are some shows you're catching up with on Netflix so far? Um, I maybe we can get recommendations from there. <laughs> uh, I, I, I've also been, I've never been the series type of person. I'm pretty mm-hmm. much more of a movie person. But mm-hmm. I recently, I just actually finished watching the last episode yesterday, early morning today, actually. But mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a series called Timeless. Timeless. Mm-hmm. It's a, so I'm very fascinated with science. So mm-hmm. I love anything that deals with science. You know, all this like wormholes, time travel. So it's a series on time travel. And uh, it's very interesting because it, 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 the, the episodes take you to different points in history, right? And if you, I, I've always loved history as well because it defines where we come from. You know, we always look at the past to shape where we're going. Mm-hmm. So it was very interesting. It's a very interesting, it's worth watching. It's very addictive as well. And I just finished, it's like two seasons on Netflix, timeless. So if, you, if you're a science geek, mm-hmm. history geek, and you love conspiracy theories, then it's a nice series. And uh, I've always liked, I loved Blacklist as well, uh, like catching up on Blacklist. And uh, there's also the, 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 the one with David Attenborough, Another Planet, so on the environmental mm-hmm. side. So it's always yeah. good to watch those kind of series. And uh, that's what I've been watching. Yeah. All right, you, you also mentioned um, that you hang out with friends, um, what's what's your social circle like? Um, do you have more local friends or more um, international um, Zimbabwean, African, South African friends? I have, well, yeah, finding friends is always another interesting thing. It's not always that easy, right? And um, I have a very international group of friends, right? I think I have a very international group of friends, and I think it's always been like that. For a long time, I like to surround myself with people from different places, right? As long as we have similar values, you see, that's the thing with friendship. Sometimes we might not agree on certain things, but we, we, if we have key values and principles together, then yeah, I'm good with friends. But my local close need of friends, there are few. They are very few. I think the one thing about growing up is you, you you move from having thirty friends to maybe having one or two or three friends. <laughs> it's, it's quite over quantity, yeah. right? So. Um, and, and and my friends are very diverse. So that's uh, Malaysian, the Malaysian, they're they're they're, they're African. It's, the, the one other downside is always finding quality African friends, like mm. people other, because I don't tend to 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 come across a lot of experts, right? Yeah. And so finding quality friends from your own people is also maybe one other, yeah, like I mentioned, that the, the, the one of one of the dislikes. But I'm I'm a very open-minded person, and. Um, most of my friends are as well so that's how my my my, my friends are we're very and and it's also it gives you benefits you know like so if you have all different types of friends you can enjoy all different types of what they bring into the table right <laughs> can have the same type of friends you know <laughs> that restricts True. the way yeah, yeah. so i see so if i have an indian friend i get to be invited for deeper valley i get to be invited <laughs> for 
weddings, I've yeah. got a Chinese friends, I, I get invited for Chinese New Year, you know, and, and, and that creates different experiences for me. So my, fr- my, my group of friends are very much like that. I like to make sure that I have friends that, that can fill up gaps that I cannot fill up myself. That right. improve me as an individual. That's right. most important. Okay, that's that's interesting. Do you, do do you think though that expats should integrate more um, in the local society? Because what what I find is um, a lot of times, especially with POCs, we tend to not um, we, we tend to stay away from the locals. We don't always have. Um, local friends. I've interviewed a couple of people who say they have zero local friends outside of work. So, um, do you think that is something that is essential, um, especially if you're living here as an expat? I, I don't know why. Well, that's my own point of view. I don't think I would go to a different country and not want to be friends with the people in that <laughs> local con- that local community. It, yeah. it, it kind of defeats the purpose, mm-hmm. you know, and. Uh, and I guess, like I said, it's about, it's an individual thing. It's a purpose, right? For me, I've always wanted to learn about different, you know, different groups, ethnicities. And, and that's what drives me to connect to different people. And I think as an expert, it's also important that you connect, you know, with, uh, with locals, right? Because there is no other way that people get to know about your culture except from you, right? And, uh, and and that's what that tends to then what that's what happens, right? Yeah. So I rather not have a local learning about my culture from Google or YouTube. <laughs> There's already, I think, whatever. I don't know if we have all representation. For yeah. example, in Africa yeah. and in Malaysia, yeah. I rather have them learn about our culture from an actual individual because that's personal experience. That's also the the, the dialogue between people, right? But also. If you look that back in the days, that's one role why you have also like embassies, foreign missions. It's about creating uh, or all these youth exchanges, creating those friendships that cut across different divides, right? Mm-hmm. That can act as the bulwarks of of uh, countering uh, negative elements like uh, prejudice and mm-hmm. uh, uh, stigma, for example, right? So. When you when you immerse yourself together with locals, you get to understand what are the local customs, for example, and then you understand it from their point of view. Mm-hmm. So, I, I guess that's that tends to happen with a lot of experts that we they they, they tend to um, separate themselves, mm-hmm. right? You you find people they live within their own local communities, they live, and it's fine. Everyone is entitled, or they can do the whatever they want to do but i feel then you miss out on the true essence of what malaysia is mm-hmm. right i've heard a lot of people like oh malaysia is like this malaysia is like this and i'm like you sound like you're living in a different bubble you haven't mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. gone out there and understood yeah. and, and and that's that's the reality uh, malaysians are very nice people the majority of them are very nice people but also you it's a 50 50 thing you have to meet in the middle but also at the same time if we want people to learn about ourselves we need to find ways of how we we, we, we teach them about our culture we teach them about ourselves right yeah, yeah. and it will then take time for them to understand that mm-hmm. but through friendships that's what happens right and we can't be building up walls and trying to be just like okay just because i'm from uh, i'm from uh, america i'm living with my own americans nah, mm-hmm. i don't think that's interesting honestly i wouldn't do that and that's why like i said earlier when i eat my food I, i've had friends who visit and i'm like yeah hey, let's go to the local stall and then they're like oh we'll have the food and i'm like trust me i always say mm-hmm. if you go to a place and you see a lot of people eating the food is delicious that's mm-hmm. when, That's how I know that the food is delicious. <laughs> Always for locals. The locals will take you to all the nice places, yeah. and, and 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 that's the reality. You know, locals will never do all the, and the, because this is their home, right? Yeah. So they have seen the lights, all the biggest, the the, the twin towers, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I can't leave. I feel like I can leave as an expert, but through a local way, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And that's when you start enjoying the true Malaysia, right? Mm -hmm. I think, you know, you start to see how 
you know, the society is, how it's shaped, and that it enlightens you in a way that you didn't know how to better engage with them, mm-hmm. right? And, and the moment you're able to do that, and then you understand, you know, you can't always come into, we cannot always make conclusions that, oh, maybe locals don't like foreigners, or maybe locals don't do this. You have to first understand maybe why. And through that, you're, you're, you're also going to be able to see what can you do differently that can help them have a different view about us. So that's why I always feel it's, um, I've seen it, like, I've gone to a lot of expert groups, you find people uh, either stay in Mount Kiara, they have mm-hmm. a different world, which is, I feel, in a way, weird. It was like, <laughs> if you're gonna be in Malaysia and you don't experience it the Malaysian way, then, yeah. then you might as well go to a <laughs> But that's my that's my take on how I see things, right? So, so that's why my experiences tend to be very much different from what other people do because maybe my approach is different, right? Uh, and it's always worth trying. At the end of the day, what, what, what's the worst thing that can happen? Honestly, yeah. what's the worst thing that can happen? So that's yeah. that's how I that's how I go about it. Yeah, I, I agree with you fully. Like, I think my um, social circle is also mostly like 80% locals, um, 20% um, international and from everywhere else. Uh, because like, yeah, why are you here if you're not experiencing the real Malaysian society and Malaysian way of life? So yeah, that's that's very true. <laughs> uh, what, what do you think... Um, every expat in Malaysia should try at least once while they're here. And why would you think they should try that? Mm, that's very interesting. I haven't tried everything myself, but <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, uh, let's see. Because it comes in many, there's, there's a lot of things that in Malaysia that mm. I think uh, people can try. Mm-hmm. But I guess I would say... Um, something that would allow people to understand, maybe, because, uh, for example, weddings, right? Mm. Uh, I think uh, weddings in Malaysia are very interesting, mm. right? And I think that was one of the first, yeah, one of those other different cultural shocks. I, I remember my first, I went to a, a Malay wedding for the first time, and I was told it starts at this time because I'm used to, like back home. If a wedding is starting at nine, you rock up at nine or ten. That's that's how it is. But here. The wedding like goes on like it doesn't matter. You go in and you go out, and that's how it is. And I was like, "What?" <laughs> uh, you know, so it was a very different take. But I think it's a nice experience, right? It's a yeah. very amazing experience. And like I said, I also have friends who come from all all, all racial groups. I've been to a Malay a Malay wedding. I've been to uh, an Indian wedding. I've been to a Chinese wedding. I've been to an Iban wedding in in Sarawak and Sabah. So, you see, I feel those kind of settings mm. actually give you the best experience about that particular group, that particular culture. Mm. So, from my advice to a lot of experts, I'm like, I, if if you really wanna do a, like a short course if you don't if you don't have like oh I want to be here for like two five or whatever if you really want a nice like a, a, a quick way of learning something amazing I think one maybe you, you go for their weddings and uh, maybe two is uh, the, the festivities right so mm-hmm. if it's Chinese New Year you get to experience that soon it'll be uh, Hari Raya you experience that Ipavali you experience that and you will have the complete guide of how to live as a Malaysian, how to experience Malaysia in a, in a unique way when you gather with the people during these, uh, these key dates, like these key periods of time, because that gives you that sense of, you. that's when you see the sense of community, you see the sense of pride that they have within their own local communities. And if you're somebody that wants to learn about their culture, about the way they do things, that's the best time to actually learn about it. Well, that's interesting. I didn't think about it that way, but yeah, like a short crash course into the culture. Yeah, <laughs> it is a short crash course into the yeah. culture, and and you will at least because we know the holidays are always coming quick and fast, you know. So yeah. yeah, I feel that that's that's something that I would recommend because it's very difficult to just say, oh, try Nasi Lemak, you know, because I'm not like it's then just trying one aspect mm. of of Malaysia, mm. right? 
and you know, maybe I'll go to Bantu Caves, you know, but you see, Bantu Cave is uh, an illustration of maybe just one demographic, right? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really give you that, it doesn't show you the diversity that's involved. And I think Malaysia cannot be, you can't define Malaysia into just one single thing, mm-hmm. you know? You can't define Malaysia into one single thing unless you just go immerse yourself in the different elements that make up what Malaysia is. And then you can be able to, like, have experienced Malaysia. True, true. Yeah. All right. <laughs> That's a good way to do things. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's about experience, man. Yeah, I think it's always about experiences because... You see, uh, what I'd like to tell myself is you can't have expectations in life, but you can have experiences and you learn from them, right? And I think it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an outlook take about being present, right? Uh, I think there's a book called Destinations, which talks about how people rush. We're all going to the same destination at the end of the day. So you could choose to be that person that rushes to that destination, or you could choose to be that person that immerses themselves that journey understanding being present right and so by being present that means you are able to like you know take the time to understand different things different moments and and they help shape who you are right because at the end of it all when you look back you want to you want to have experiences right you want to be able to say if i was in malaysia this is what i experienced i experienced this i experienced that i experienced that not just to say i in malaysia my only experience was with my own people Mm. that doesn't make sense (laughs) sense. so it's about experiences and if you want to have the best experiences that you will remember Mm. then they'll be rooted in the locals right they'll be rooted in a local basis right and um and i think that's how i've always looked at things right everything has to be immersive there has to be something that helps you you might not see it you might not because we tend to always think everything happens dra- drastically. Like, but learning, like I said earlier, learning never stops. But there's a lot of things that we, we, we pick up along the way, which make us better human beings five years or ten years later. It's those lessons that you get that will make you a better human being in the future. True. Uh, speaking, about, speaking about books and nonstop learning, what's been your most influential book and why? I think my most influential book has been, there's a book by W. Mitchell. It's called, It's Not What Happens to You, It's What You Do About It. And uh, I think the title should be a little bit, it, it gives it out, like yeah. what it's all about. And it's a very, I think it's a, it's a powerful book in terms of how, uh, so when you just look at the title, it's not what happens to you, it's what you do about it, right? And that's what we go through life every time. We, we, we could choose to either, focus on what has happened to me or what I'm going to do about it. So that actually distinguishes two groups of people. There are those people who will always look into, oh, this has happened to me, that and that, that and that, that and that, that and that. And then they don't end up living their lives. Mm -hmm. But there's also those groups of people who don't just look at what has happened to them. They do something about it, right? So if I don't know how to cook, I'm not going to complain about not knowing how to cook or do it. I will find a way to learn how to cook. So that's those are some of the key takeaways from that book because it, it really it's a it's a it's a it's about how we shift our mindsets, right? And how we 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 we, we teach our, our our own consciousness to always look into the positive. We always look into like. Okay, what can I do about it, right? Not just creating. I always we call it alibi for failure, yeah, right? There's yeah. a lot of people who always create alibis for failure. Mm-hmm. Oh, I I came from a poor family, or oh, I come from a poor country, or oh, that's creating an alibi for failure. There's there is something you can do about that. What is it that you're gonna do about that? So there's that need to take that that the next step to to correct it, right? Yeah. So there was a part like in the book where he mentions how. Previously, he could do 10,000 things, but now because of the, I'm not giving away anything about the book, but (laughs) at that point he was like, but now I can do 7,000 things. Mm. So he he, so the key thing that he mentioned there is like, I could choose to focus on the 3,000 things I cannot do anymore or to focus on the 7,000 things I can do. Mm. 
And that's how we are in life, right? We tend to focus on the things that we cannot do or we cannot change mm. rather than focusing on those 7,000 things that we can do, that yeah. we can change yeah. and that we are in control of, mm. right? So that's how we take a, that, that's how the, the book has been powerful. It's powerful for me because it, it helps me in my everyday, you know, activities and the way I, I look at things. Okay, that it sounds like an interesting book. Um, if anyone is um, adding to their reading list, it's not what happens to you; it's what you do about it. By W. Yeah. All right. Um, yes. The second question would be: what What's your favorite productivity tool or resource? What's my favorite? Sorry. Product, your favorite productivity tool or resource. Ah, productivity too. Oh my God, I suck when it comes to productivity. <laughs> but uh, uh, I don't know. Maybe is it like in a personal way or at work way? Yeah, either, either, either one works. It can be your personal productivity, um, something you use for personal productivity or something you use at work. Um, I think in, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so I think maybe for work, for example, um, it helps a lot, especially if you work in a very much project-based type of an environment. Mm -hmm. There's this, uh, there's this, uh, there's Asana, this platform, oh, right? Okay. Asana, yeah, that helps with task management. You mm -hmm. can, you know, and um, so Asana is very good for work productivity, right? It helps it, it, in a way dissects what. You, you you're working on what you're not working on how kind of what uh, what help you might need for example so it in a way gives you like a it, it manages your tasks it, it helps you just like how we do hold the whole smart smart measurable goals whatever so you say you're able to do that uh, towards the ultimate goal that you want to achieve so for work i think stuff like asana helps and then um in a more and, and if I move away digitally, I love working with post-it notes. Like in, mm -hmm. even in my house, I have like this wall where I put post-it notes. So it helps like, let's say I have an idea or something. I just always write it into a post-it note mm -hmm. and then I just stick it up there. Whether mm -hmm. I want to think of it right at, the, at that particular period of time or later on, but I visually put something there to remind me of, of something that it popped into my mind that I can feed on. So it helps with productivity in a way of like, okay, it can gather my thoughts in a very much more visual way. So I, I think I'm a very much visual person and uh, posting those work. And then another productivity is I, 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 I figured out how productive I am throughout 24 hours. So I, these hours I know I'm not productive, you know, so I kind of mock them not to do anything that relates to me producing results. Right. I know it's tough, but <laughs> yeah, I figured out I work effectively sometimes at night. I work effectively before lunch or after lunch. So I think each and every individual has those. Because for me, what I tend to do is when I'm not productive, I am not going to do work. Yeah. It's, yeah. I feel like I'm not going to get the results. So I focus on something else. Yeah. I do my work within those hours that I know I'm most productive. And it's it's human nature that, you know, it's just like how there are some people who are morning people and there are some who are night people, yeah, right? True. So okay. it's really understanding yourself. This is more of a personal, like, understanding when are you most productive. So you want to be, you, you, you want to use the time when you're most productive to do the most important things because then you get the best results true right yeah. so that that's how i found that i'm always productive sometimes when i feel like oh let me let me work on something then it doesn't work i listen to music mm -hmm. i listen yeah. to music yeah. or my 30 minutes one hour just listen to music read news articles distract myself until i get to that point where i know i'm productive and then it works for me it helps with my productivity Sounds sounds like a good plan. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it it works for me. Yeah. And like I say, you know, but it's also being in touch with yourself. Like yeah. each and every person knows. There is no one else who knows you better than yourself. True. So you got and and that's why when I mentioned earlier about catching up, mm -hmm. 
So I, that's a useful practice that I do, that I always catch up with myself, right? Catch up with yourself and find out. Yeah. Because by understanding yourself, then you're able to know how am I going to be able to use myself in the most productive way. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. yeah. To wrap up the episode, share advice for POC expats who want to settle in Malaysia, um, who want to be expats here as well. Um, what, what advice, um, thoughts would you have for them? Mm, yeah, what advice? Well, I guess maybe it could because uh, it, it, it's always having, uh, because for me, for example, when I came to Malaysia, there was a reason why I came to Malaysia. And it's always, it's about the, the, the outlook of what you want to, to, to achieve while you're here, right? And I always say, don't listen to other people. That's some of the advice that I tell because I, I remember when I was in university and when I, I told people, I'm like, I think I'm going to work in Malaysia. And at the time, back in 2010, 2011, people were like, ah, no, you can't work in Malaysia. Malaysia is racist. Malaysia is this. But I was like, but I didn't get that memo. You know, I don't, I, I, I don't know where I saw it. You know, just that was my outlook where, you know, people will always talk, right? And um, but at the end of the day, you as a person make the decisions, yeah. right? Always try to figure out if, if you if you're passionate about something, right? And then you go for it. And then if and if some of that passion involves you being in Malaysia, then you go for it, right? And I think it's just identifying what you can contribute, and um, and you work on it, right? And I think if if for example, if I'm a student, and of course the, it, it becomes difficult, right? in particular sectors to be able to get a job, for example, right? I know a lot of students are like, oh, of course I want to work in Malaysia, but there's the op opportunity. Uh, the, the honest truth, there is opportunity, but it's limited, right? It's very limited, but you then have to be very good at what you do. And that's why it's all about getting those experiences. Um, so earlier on, when we were having a chat before we started, I, I was speaking about social capital, right? Mm -hmm. Where I can just give an example, like your network. Yeah. Right. I, I got my job through that opportunity of networking with others, yeah. right? But also networking different individuals. And you will see that a lot of the times people, like even the roles that get filled up in companies, a, a lot of the times 60 to 70% of those roles are filled through informal personal connections, yeah. right? Referrals, yeah. And, and, and that's what I feel as people of color, if you're a student, it's how do you connect, right? You know, whether it's you're doing volunteering work, you know, you're immersing yourself, understanding locals, because you see, by understanding that you, you're creating, uh, you, 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 you're diversing from just being a foreigner. You're a person who then understand local customs, you're a person who understands the local way of living, yeah. because if I'm just going to come and saying I'm just an expert, then what value am I bringing mm. to locals, right? True. Because if they don't see the value that I'm bringing, then what's the point, yeah. right? <laughs> exactly. So there has to be value that you're bringing, mm. right? And I think that's basically if because it's in every country. You justify why you should be there, right? Yeah. So you justify why you should be there. And I think if it's based on your abilities and, and, and now you can add value to a community, to a country, whether it's through tech, it's through accounting, it's through entrepreneurship, and then you will find an opportunity. You will definitely find an opportunity. So it's always to figure out, learn about yourself, add value, provide that value for others, and then I think it's always going to be a great opportunity. And um, yeah, the other advice is, you know, as I say, when you're in Rome, you do as Romans do. Try to experience mm -hmm. this. Because, you know, we, 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 we tend to be, we, we, we have fear, right? Mm -hmm. Because fear is just there. It just, you know, we always say it's false expressions appearing real. Mm -hmm. But it, the, 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 the very least you can do is to try, right? Mm -hmm. you, you can just try. If it doesn't work, it didn't work. But at least you know you tried rather you tried, than not yeah. trying. Yeah. And then living the rest of your life feeling like, oh, I could have done this, I could have done that. Nah. So maybe one step is getting to know the local 
way of doing things, local mm. culture, and then but find it in a way that aligns with your values and principles. And then I think um, that's some of the advice that I can give. <laughs> right, that that's really good advice. I think, yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything else? Um, any additional information you want to add that we did not include? Anything else? Just to round up. No, I think we did cover. <laughs> we, we, I think we spoke a lot. I tend to speak a lot, and anyway, I talk a lot. But I think that's I think, good. Yeah, like, you, like, yeah. like I mentioned earlier, it's really it's always important that we create our own. Uh, we create our own communities that can be. Um, that can be that place where people can, whether it's finding the information, if you're looking for the motivation, if you're looking for the experiences, it's about the interactions between people, right? If you can do it, whether it's through a blog or it's whether people are meeting up. Yeah. So it's building that community, right? In a way. And, uh, and understanding the value of being together, you know, yeah. you know, you can, you can never work in isolation, but you need to be a collective. You need to work together. And then yeah. that way we are able to build uh, and be able to do more. We've been talking with Ralph Mbofu. Um, thank you very much for joining us on this episode. Uh, thank you for having me on the episode. <laughs>